Hello, world. I'm Jenner Pasqua, and you're listening to Fermented Media Lab. Fermented Media Lab, or FML, is a public access variety show where each episode is a mixtape of audio submissions from, well, anyone. This show will feature creators from different disciplines and skill levels, all experimenting with audio. FML is for the folks with a podcast idea and a dream, because it's a weird world and we want to preserve it. You might hear a traditional interview, a vignette of Zoom recordings, or an impromptu musical composition, like what you're hearing right now. This is a recording created by my man, Jesus. He goes by Rabbit Tiger on Spotify. Definitely check him out there. In today's episode, we'll hear a story about a kumquat. We'll listen to an inspiring conversation from Chef Matt Lecac of Bolero NYC. And photographer Andrew Broadhead trips out on Clubhouse. Hold on a second. What was that? I just have to eat one of these kumquats right away. Worked up an appetite. Mmm, so good. Tart and sweet and chili from being outside. Mmm. What a treat. Hi, I'm Marnie. And this is Marnie Eats. So Marnie, where did you get this kumquat? I got that kumquat through LA Fruit Share, which is an event that happens so far twice a year in LA where people share fruit with one another from their backyards. Nice. Um, How does one, like I've never heard of this before, how does one even participate in LA Fruit Share? There's a great website that explains this. I wish I could tell you what it is. Let me look it up really quick right now. Yeah, it is. It's called LAFruitShare.org. You either are a giver or a receiver. It's open to anyone. Super cool. I unfortunately didn't have anything to to give, but I gave lots of enthusiasm instead. (laughs) So if you have fruit to give, you're supposed to sign up and register by a certain time. And then the organizers of the event include your information in a citywide map receivers can uh, find you and and pick up the fruit. A lot of the houses that I went to had just set up displays that were, you know, you could interact with and come and go as you please. And they weren't necessarily um, more complicated than, you know, a box saying, you know, take one or take me. Um, And so at several different locations, I didn't interact with anyone. I just sort of went to the location on the map and sort of hunted around for the house and saw the little display and, and, you know, happily, you know, took a few fruits and smiled, you know, and, and went home or, you know, went on to the next place rather along the way, I bumped into other people who were, who were following the map to receive fruit and someone specifically recommended that I go to a specific house so it was like in a hilly area of Basel Park that I'd never been before. It was really cute. Felt very like mountain towny. 
the house belonged to a founder of an organization called Greywater Corps, and they had grown all the fruit that was on display there using repurposed gray water from this guy's house to feed the orchard. For those who don't know, what is gray water? Like an example of gray water is water that like you ran in the, in the sink to brush your teeth. If you are using like a biodegradable toothpaste or water, you filled up in a bathtub and washed your body with, uh, and then it goes down the drain, you know, that's gray water. It's repurposable. Um, whereas black water, which is, you know, water that you're flushing down your toilet, you don't want to reuse that when, on your food. Um, no poop water. Yeah. Got poop, it. Poop free. Awesome. Totally different. Um, and yeah, so I, I went to, I went to this house and got to talking with the, with the folks that work for gray water core who were sort of operating a little booth with, with the, with the fruit and he took me underneath the house and showed me where the pipes go and where there's a sort of a surge tank. One of the things about gray water is that I learned is you're not meant to let it sit because bacteria can grow in the still water. So it, it is something that folks have to sort of live their, live their lives around like in sync with the watering schedule. For instance, you know you're taking a bath at a certain point and that water is immediately immediately needs to be drained and and feeding the garden it's not something you can store and then water with later he had designed a switch in the bathroom that would direct the water to their desired location whether they wanted to water with that water or not water with that water for any reason for instance like using a non biodegradable soap or something like that. Um, so I thought that was very cool. It, it felt very Swiss Family Robinson, like, you know, DIY house project, um, behind the scenes tour. It was a really fun way to spend my afternoon. Awesome. Who would have thought the story behind a little kumquat could be so informative? Why, <laughs> thank you, Marnie. Thank you, Jenner. So, fun fact, the kumquat is native to China. It has long been cultivated in other parts of Southeast Asia, including the Philippines, where my parents are from. And for our next segment, we're going to keep it ASEAN, Asian. It's a story that has origins in Vietnam and is now thriving in New York City. Uh, my name is Matt Lecac. I'm from a small town called Westchester, Pennsylvania. Both my parents immigrated over during the war, which is a story in itself for sure. So uh, what I do is um, try to open people's minds about Vietnamese food. I used to live with Matt. He's the executive chef at Bolero NYC and... When I lived with him in New York, we were in this loft, and he would always be hosting dinner parties. They were more than meals to me. Matt used to, you know, use those moments to drop interesting nuggets of information about what we were eating. Take Vietnamese salad rolls, for example. I mean, most people know, like, salad rolls or, you know, summer rolls or spring rolls or whatever you want to call the nomenclature of it, where, like, you wrap uh, vermicelli with some protein and rice noodle, uh, rice noodle paper. 
the way salad rolls are presented in New York are basically almost like a, a game genie version of like eating salad rolls. It's pre-rolled because Vietnamese people are like, I don't think Americans can do this. You know, we'll pre-roll it for them. And now Americans know all about it, but they, they, re- they assume that that's the actual form of salad rolls. In Vietnam, that's not actually how we eat them. In Vietnam, when you sit down, you actually have all the herbs and noodles and the protein in front of you, and you wrap it at your table. Like, you have this, like, uh, agency to modulate how spicy or how bright or how herby or how carby or how much protein in each of your bite by, like, wrapping it yourself. So you're telling me that salad rolls aren't supposed to be pre-rolled. Interesting. Matt is so knowledgeable, I wonder what started his interest in cooking. I don't think you appreciate something until maybe it's gone. So I didn't really actually actively think about cooking until I actually left for college. And then I realized most of the food is not as good as my mom's cooking. So at that point, I started calling my mom every other week. And I was like, oh, how do you make bung bao hui? How do you make pho? Like, you know, and she would advise me and guide me through. But, you know, being Vietnamese, she's like, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, you know, like, and not exact measurements. It wasn't until then that I started actively thinking about it, just like my culture and like all that. But, you know, growing up as a child, like I, I remember being in the kitchen and uh, my mom baking a, you know, like a Yule log and she would cut like the burnt, like caramelized skin off and put it in a bowl. And like, I remember just eating that out of the bowl. And like, it was one of the most amazing experiences. Matt studied science at Tufts University. Eventually, he got his PhD in chemistry from Columbia. So he's actually Dr. Matt Lecac. He went to college for over a decade. He could have easily landed a secure job. Um, Why change course to pursue a career as a chef? Well, it was a pivotal moment in my life. I hit 30. I got my PhD and my mother passed away. So like both this like nexus happened and I'm like, you know, like, what am I going to be happy doing? Like, what would she want me to do? And it's almost like an interesting uh, interpretation or almost like faith-like interpretation between me and my dad. Like, you know, we had like, I mean, my dad made us promise him to get a peaching something when you grew up. And we're like, yeah, we promised. And I kept my promise. And when she passed away, I'm like, our mom would want us to celebrate her food. Like, and he would like, no, your mom would be like, you should be a scientist. So it's almost like two different interpretations of the same thing or Judaism and Islam, you know, <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, that was a that was a pivotal moment. Uh, it took some convincing my dad, and he had to warm up to it for a while. But uh, I had to do it, man. I think the main reasons uh, cooking something and plating something, and then you drop it in front of someone, it's an immediate visceral reaction. Like you see, like what the food and how it affects you, get that gratification like right away. While if, if I stayed in like drug development. You're like you spend half your life working twenty years on this drug that may or may not come out. You never see the results of it firsthand. So I just needed something to follow a medium that allowed me to be myself and be in a position to affect some change. And I felt like I had more change to affect in Vietnamese food in New York. Okay, so Matt's dad wasn't too hot on the idea but his passion for food is rooted in his relationship with his mom and her cooking he's been at it as a chef for seven years it was a long road to the opening of his restaurant i asked if he still thinks his mom would have approved 
she wanted to always open a restaurant, but you know, she devoted her entire life to like raise her two boys. And when she, we went to college, she actually asked my dad, like, "Oh, we should open a bakery." And he's like, "Oh man, like, wow, I don't want to do that." And he kind of regretted because, like, you, you know, when your kids leave and you're in retirement, you kind of need to focus your mind on something. Otherwise, you just go stir crazy. You know, you don't last that long. And uh, yeah, he kind of regret, you know, saying no to her. But I was fortunate enough to invite her to one of my pop ups with doing all her recipes, and it was one of the most, uh, you know, high points of my life to be able to give. You know, her a chance to see people smiling over her food in a restaurant setting. So uh, I was so happy I was able to give her that. Earlier, Matt mentioned his parents coming to America was a story in itself. So I asked him if he was willing to share one. Here's his mom's story. I've I've always known that uh, she was responsible for getting my grandmother and my two aunts out of Vietnam. Um, through her, f- uh, she was a flight attendant back in the sixties, like the glamorous days, Don Draper kind of shit, um, and that's all I knew about it. I didn't really know the details, and uh, it wasn't until actually her funeral, where like we were t- like telling stories about her life and like celebrating her life, that I actually found out the details. It's like she basically got four tickets to fly out of Vietnam during the last day of the war when Ho Chi Minh was about to invade. Saigon, 1975, and uh, as Ho Chi Minh's army was coming in, they were at, trying to get into the airport to fly out, and it was so crowded, and everyone was trying to get out that they did not get to their plane in time, and they saw their plane fly out off without them, and they're like, "Oh no, that's the only way out! Like, what are we gonna do?" And all of a sudden, two surface-to-air missiles hit that plane. And it bl- exploded, and they were like, "Wow, we're so happy we're not on that plane, but we'd rather be on that plane rather than being in this rude education camp that Ho Chi Minh's going to put us in." So they eventually got in, and she managed to find my mom managed to find a a friend that she hooked up with a customs agent job in the airport, and she's like, "Is there anything taken off?" And he was like, "Yes, this uh, ambassador's helicopter. I can put you on it." And uh, just no luggage, you know, just bring your grandmother and your two aunts and nothing else. And she's like, thank you. And she went back to her sister and was like, hey, put on all your jewelry, stuff all your cash down your dress. And my mom being my mom, she wanted to take her first step on American soil in stylishly. So she basically tied high heels and hid it behind her back, you know, to board this plane. And as this helicopter, actually helicopter, taken off. Saigon was burning, and they land on the USS Enterprise, and they had a whole room to themselves, and they felt like there was like a Disneyland cruise because they were safe and like in comfort and whole room. Like I was like, man, my mom, you know, I took pride in party crashing like Alexander Wang parties in New York, but then she crashed USS Enterprise. You know, I mean, that's a powerful thing with parents too. Like they have all these amazing stories from when they were our age, you know, growing up in our respective countries. But they never will openly talk about it unless we like push them about it, you know. Yeah. Either it's like too traumatizing, or it's like eh, you know, like it's behind. Like we're not gonna, you know, acknowledge it ever again. Talking with Matt, I could tell he's very close to his parents. I wondered how his dad is living with his son's non-conventional path. Well, honestly, like if you're comparing father to son, like Godfather style, 
like if you watch Godfather 2 of my life, like you would see my dad growing up in a buffalo, riding a buffalo in like a rice paddy field, youngest out of nine, and he was destined to take over the farm. But what did he do? He ran away from home to go to Tokyo University to study science, which is something his parents did not understand. So who's to say if it's any different? You know, the thing about Asian parents is they're banking on us to take care of them when they grow old. So I can see why they want to, like, become a doctor, become a lawyer, you know, become a financier, you know, Wall Street banker to ensure their retirement fund, right? Because there's a lot more riding on them for them and their mentality versus, like, an American parent. Because, you know, like, Asian parents can't really communicate or are not really the best to communicate uh, emotions or, you know, uh, there's a lot of passive aggressiveness and, like, unspoken, you know, uh, like, buried stuff. So, like, if they do, if, if they fucked up and, like, wanted to apologize, they won't actually say, hey, son, I'm sorry about this. You know, they would actually make your favorite meal or a favorite dish and then give it to you. And that's their apology. And you know that they're apologizing and you accept it. So it's almost like, you know, I learned about, like, the connection with food as a language more than, like, anything. And that's a powerful foundation because language is everything. Language is the the way we spread our culture and spread our medium, you know. Language is how, you know, we're going to guide you through eating uh, the food at the restaurant, Bolero, too, so... Now that he's opened his first restaurant, Bolero, I want to know what he's excited to bring to New York's food scene. I'm excited to bring more than just food. You know, the food's a foundation for sure. But, you know, where does the ingredients come from? What are these herbs? You know, like, how does it get here? Well, I have a farm. What is this bamboo on the plate? Well, it's grown in the bamboo grove outside, you know? Or what is this Cuban music playing in the restaurant? Oh, it's, uh, you know, Vietnamese bolero, actually. And Vietnamese picked it up through the French colonization when we were servants in the madame's parlors and we heard this Cuban bolero happening while the French madames were, like, hosting the guests and were like, oh, we should learn this. And then we made this beautiful music out of it and combining our sadness, combining our guitar playing... So I want people to know that Vietnamese culture is a little bit more than just food and war, you know? So uh, there's deeper levels. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Matt Lacac, executive chef and owner of Bolero NYC. If you happen to be in New York City, stop by and support. It's a hot, hot restaurant right now. Check them out. Jenna, can you hear me? I like that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scared to talk because I keep getting looped. (laughs) <laughs> like I even feel a little insecure like I'm on drugs <laughs> fermented media lab is hosted 
and produced by me, Jenner Pasqua. <laughs> Special thanks to Jesus Guerrero. <laughs> for providing us with such awesome music throughout the entire episode. I'm terrified. <laughs> Shout out to the homegirl Marnie for an awesome segment that started with the Comquat. Yeah, man. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I, I think I, I really like um, the looping in the background. You know, in the subtle, the subtle music, it's like. Another thank you to my buddy Matt for letting me interview him. Thanks to Andrew Broadhead, who let me record him on Clubhouse the other night. That's what you're listening to right now. He and his wife finally scheduled their wedding in October, so congrats to them. Yeah, it really ups the production of the channel. It's fucking insane. I, I feel like when we're talking, it's like, oh, it, it feels like the the conclusion for, yeah, like the conclusion of like serial episode three. <laughs> Did he do it? S-Town coming to you live. Go to radiolab.com. <laughs> Radio Lab. If you want to submit a story to Fermented Media Lab, Go to fermented.media. Have you been uh, listening to any podcasts that you're really pumped on right now, Jenner? Or record a voice memo and email to holla at fermented.media as well. We'll throw you into the show. Sick. That's F-R-M-N-T-D dot media for the website. Same thing goes for Hala, H-O-L-L-A, at fermented.media. Unfortunately, we cannot afford vowels. And that's a wrap for the first episode. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Jenner. Nicole says hi. Hey, Nicole.